Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. So as Jake said last week, uh, Creative Arts Camp is really just a few short weeks away. I kind of feel like uh, I just got done last year's, and here we are, and I'm asked to be a camp counselor, and thank God Avery is my co-counselor because she's going to be far better at it than me, and I'll fall asleep at 6 p.m. every night because uh, I just can't keep up with them. Uh, but with that said, if you have not seen it already, and actually if you already have, uh, you should still go into Anderson Hall at some point and check out all that our team has assembled, uh, the team led by Belina, but many of you have contributed to that, and uh, it really is kind of feeling like ancient Israel, and uh, every year it's great, but this year, every year they seem to outdo the previous year as well. No pressure for next year or anything, but you should definitely go check that out. And uh, fortuitously, we did not plan this at all, I promise, I swear, but we just happened to be going through the book of First Samuel this whole month of June, and our theme for Creative Arts Camp this year is The Giant, a story that maybe you've heard of before, the story of David and Goliath, and that story is found in First Samuel. Now, we're not there yet. Last week, Jake kicked us off, if you remember, with the calling of the prophet Samuel. Do you remember this? Even before that, uh, Samuel had a mother whose name was Hannah. Hannah was barren. She could not have children. Uh, and like throughout the Old Testament, we see these barren women crying out that the Lord would give them a child, and he grants them their request. And this was no different. Samuel was granted to Hannah. And if you remember, Hannah promised, if you give me a son, I will devote him to the Lord. I will essentially Give him over to the temple, and he will be yours. And that's exactly what happens. And last week, we saw Samuel, the young boy, uh, being called. His name was called, uh, and Samuel thought the priest, Eli, was calling him. And he went to Eli three times, and Eli's just like, go back to bed, I didn't call you. So finally, Eli realizes something's up. Uh, Next time you are called, address the Lord because it's the Lord who is addressing you. Now, a lot of times in life, we would like to think that if the Lord were to address us, it would be so, such, something so great, like you're doing a great job, you're doing fine, awesome, just keep on that path. But in this case, it was not very good news at all. And it wasn't good news because Eli, the priest, the priest of Israel who functioned also as a judge of Israel, he had two sons, two sons who he set up with power, and they were corrupt in the eyes of the Lord. They were taking bribes. They were uh, essentially taking advantage of the very people who they were there to serve. And Samuel essentially is told, go tell Eli, they are not going to be judges anymore. They're not going to be priests anymore. In fact, they're going to be taken out. Um, Imagine having to tell something like that to your boss. (laughs) Like, oh, by the way, the Lord uh, told me something. You're not going to like it, but here it is. And so that's kind of how the story begins, with the call of Samuel as a young boy. And here in our reading for today that Anne read, we we fast forward to the tail end of his ministry. Now, interestingly enough, Samuel has lived a long life and done a lot of really good work. But in the, the way these things work, Samuel, too, had two sons who he set up 
as judges in the south of Israel, and they too, like Eli's sons, were corrupt, took bribes, took advantage of the people. And so the people see this, and they come up to Samuel, and they tell him, we can't have them as judges anymore. In fact, we're done with this whole judgeship thing altogether. We want a king like all the other nations. We want a king like all the other nations who will go out and fight our battles for us. And on the surface of this, this doesn't seem like that radical of a request, right? In fact, it seems pretty smart. In the past, these judges who kind of popped up, they were kind of charismatic in character. And what I mean by that is they would just kind of, uh, there there was no dynastic continuity. The sons weren't necessarily made judges. Uh, You would have somebody just kind of pop up out of a clear blue sky. Samuel, case in point. Samson, another one. Go look at the book of Judges. You see the, it's kind of sporadic. It's kind of all over the place. In fact, women could be judges, and this is the ancient world. That's pretty impressive. So the people are saying, all right, we've had enough of this. What we want is something with continuity. We want uh, a dynastic continuity in the sense where we don't have to worry about where our next leader is going to come from. And not only that, but we want a leader who will raise up a standing army because we want a leader who will fight our battles for us. And while that may not sound that crazy, in like a social organization, kingship makes more sense than this kind of tribal judgeship thing. But Samuel is displeased by this, and the Lord is displeased by this. And we have to ask ourselves, why? This doesn't seem like that crazy of an idea. In fact, it kind of seems like a better idea, like an upgrade uh, from what was there before. But if you're reading closely, or if you're listening closely, and you're familiar with the Old Testament, and I, you know, we've been talking about getting ourselves into the scriptures uh, and the e-news so far this summer, and I'd encourage you, check it out. Because you kind of catch on little cues that are in this text. It's subtle, but how do they ask for a king here? They ask for a king, they want to be like all the other nations. They want someone who will go out and fight their battles for them. So what is the tip-off here? Well, the Lord, from the time of the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant he made with Moses, with his people, has said, made clear, you are to be holy as I am holy. Now, we, do, we have a lot of negative associations with the term holy, right? We think immediately, oftentimes, of someone who's holier than thou. But demystify holy. Get that kind of negative association of it out of your head. And just what holy really means at its fundamental level, is to be set apart. God has called his people to be set apart, to be unlike all the other nations. And what are they asking for in this text? They're asking for the exact opposite of that. We want to be like all the other nations. The very vocation, the role that the Lord has given his people, they're repudiating. And not just that, but when they ask for someone who will go and fight their battles for them, what does that mean? Well, you've probably heard it in in our our liturgy and in the scriptures, the Lord is known as the Lord of hosts. And I think a lot of us, we just have no idea what that means. We just kind of gloss over that. But hosts really means, in the Hebrew, it means the God of the angel armies. God is the one. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who goes and fights his, his people's battles for them. 
God, the one who delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, is the one who has that role. So when they ask for a king who will fight their battles for them, they are displacing the role of their God. So interestingly enough, they're essentially saying, we don't really want our position as people who are set apart anymore. We want to be like all the others. And two, Lord, you're, you're, this whole system was haphazard. How can we rely, trust in you? We want something we can see. We want a king who will fight our battles for us. At the root, the people are displacing God's role. They are rejecting him. And so when you go home and you read that second paragraph again, you can see that is why Samuel and the Lord are upset. But interestingly enough, the Lord does not say, no, this is, you know, you're rejecting me, you're rejecting your vocation. I'm not going to let you do it. The Lord hands them over to it. The Lord says, you can have it. In fact, we'll establish the kingdom. Now, if you are to go and take a look at the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures and the rest of the Scriptures in general, you'll come to see that kingship in and of itself is not the problem. In other parts of the Old Testament, kingship is viewed highly. In fact, in the New Testament, we serve whom? A king in a kingdom. So it's not about necessarily a particular brand of government, but it is about this repudiation of God's role as their king, a repudiation of who they were meant to be. Do you remember in Genesis 12, the Lord says, I will make you a blessing, a blessing to the nations. I'm setting you apart to be that blessing. And now they just, they want to be like everybody else. So in a nutshell, the kingdom, kingship, isn't necessarily a problem. Though it can be. For the next king that's raised up, and we'll see this as we go on later uh, in the lectionary, Saul, who was kind of a mixed bag. I think we always think of Saul as only bad. But if you read closely, he wasn't only bad. And then we kind of had that pinnacle, right, in King David, who also, at the end of the day, if you're reading closely, is a bit of a mixed bag. But when we get to Solomon, all those things in the text that say, talk about the king taking from the people, taking and taxing. I will take your young men. I will force your young women to work. It kind of reminds us of World War II, right, on some level. Uh, and then all these other things. You will essentially function as slaves in your own nation, just like you were in Egypt. We see, toward the tail end of Solomon's reign, that very thing. When Solomon gives himself over to the foreign gods and suddenly is no longer that ruler who was wise and asked for wisdom, you can go through that list and it's interesting. You read 1 Kings and all of those things that, the, that Samuel warns against, that God warns against, happen. And if you follow the kings throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that there, there are some that are good. But more often than not, they're about themselves. They're bad rulers. They're corrupt. And the very thing that the elders of Israel wanted to stop, right? Samuel's sons were corrupt. Okay, let's have a kingship and therefore get rid of the corruption. Now that you have this dynastic kingdom in place, it is all the harder to get rid of corrupt sons because they are the king. 
So on some level, if you're following with me, the very thing they're asking for is not going to work out. The elders of Israel have put their trust in what they can see. They're tired of relying on the Lord. They can't see the Lord. They can't see this. I mean, we have a judge here, but then Samuel's about to die. Where's the next judge going to come from? They want security and stability at all costs to the extent that they're willing to displace God's role and repudiate their vocation. And before we get to this place, and I remember as a young boy, I would, always, I would read these Old Testament stories and be like, I would never be like those Israelites. The Lord delivered them out of bondage. What were they thinking? How could, this is almost like comic. And on some level it is, but then I look at my own life now and like just how comic my own life is. And I've used this illustration before, so forgive me, but all I have to do is stub my toe and I start to wonder why God hates me, why God put that rock in front of me or something like that. And how often do I, like all of my concerns, what occupies my mind, oftentimes is about stability, about security, about like actually finally putting together a 401k. Like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to think about this. And not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but let this text convict you. Let this text convict me. I am so concerned about my security that I would trade my trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who delivered his people out of bondage and who raises the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I would trade our God most days for that which I can see, that which I can lean my weight into. And I don't know about you, you're probably a whole lot better than me. I hope you really do have that radical trust. But that's exactly what this text is calling for. This text is saying, despite everything, despite the fact that you can't see it, despite the fact that you don't have the standing armies, despite the fact that your 401k can be taken away like that, we caught a little glimpse of that in 2008, but we've rebounded, so we've we've put our trust back in that again. But what the Lord here is calling for, the vocation of his people, is radical. It's very hard. Don't domesticate this text. What he's saying is, I want you to lean your whole weight upon me. To have your whole trust in me. Not in things that you can see. Not in your wealth. Not in your security. On some level, not even your trust in your relationships. Now, that's like the, like the next thing, right? But we know only too well that human promises are so often broken, and it's tragic, and it's horrible. But the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, says you cannot find your ultimate hope in those things. This is what St. Augustine was talking about. The only place you can lean your whole weight on, the only thing you can trust, the only promise that will never let you down is the promise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, our Lord God, who allows 
the kingship in Israel, takes it back in our Lord Jesus Christ. For you and I, friends, we might live in a democracy or a republic, but actually, first and foremost, we serve a king and a kingdom, Jesus Christ himself. And he has taken back the kingship. The Lord of the angel armies is the one who fights our battles for us. We are his people, and we have been set apart not by virtue of our own merits, but because of his shed blood for us at Calvary. So when you come today, and you come, and you eat the bread, and you drink the wine, know that this is Christ's promise to you. This is my body, which was shed for you. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you. This is our king, and his is the kingdom. And when we come to see, and not just see, when we inhabit this, when we know that this is the promise that will not be broken, that he is the king who we can trust in even though we can't see it, it slowly works on us that maybe, just maybe, even if just minutes at a time, we do, in fact, lean our whole weight on the ultimate one, the one who will never let us down, the one who cannot be taken away, the one in whom we can give our everything, and he is not going to fall out from underneath us. So this text, while it may seem at times as something so radical, and it's supposed to, this radical trust in our Lord, our our whole weight on him, it actually, it's good news. It means you can let go of those things that you're clutching, those things that, that kind of, that enslave you, those things where you really think that you're going to find your ultimate hope And that will fight your battles for you. Our Lord invites, not just invites, commands us, let them go. Lean into me and be at peace. Lean your whole weight on me, for you can trust me. When all the things in this life, when the things that we've trusted in most let us down... We have the promise of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, keeps his promises. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.